This episode of MBSing is sponsored by Field Notes brand. USA made memo books and other products, including seasonal limited editions. Visit fieldnotesbrand.com or 400 North May. I do my head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Hello, welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guests today are Dylan Schaefer, Katie Jenkins, and Molly Southgate of the Otherworld Theater Company. And they're talking to me about science fiction and fantasy as it pertains to the theater. Uh, This is what the goal of Otherworld Theater Company is, is to produce plays that are set uh, with sci-fi and fantasy uh, settings, characters, etc., uh, and it, they truly believe it's something that doesn't occur enough, uh, especially by the end of the show, we realize in non-musicals. A lot of musicals are fantastical. It's just the nature of music. But uh, there isn't very much just non-musical theater going on that's sci-fi and fantasy-based. Uh, and so the Otherworld Theater Company has made this a goal of theirs throughout their existence. So uh, Dylan's wife, Tiffany, is the artistic director, and Dylan is the director of development for them. So they've kind of been along the path the whole way. Way. And uh, for this particular show that they're producing right now called The Rogue Aviator, Molly Southgate and Katie Jenkins are on hand as cast members. Uh, Katie has been in one of their shows before. This is Molly's first show with Otherworld Theater, but uh, there is an important distinction for Molly both in the show and on the podcast in that she's the youngest member of any production that they've ever done. And she's absolutely the youngest uh, guest on MBSing. So we talk about that a little more uh, once we get to the show. But this was a really fun conversation to have this, like, well-rounded, fully-fledged, you know, thought process about how science fiction and fantasy have influenced these people as creatives. And Molly has all these incredible thoughts on the subject. She loves um, these genres and has been really kind of newly inspired by some of it and considers herself a podcaster, an actor, a writer, and it's incredible. It's totally humbling. She's super smart, super funny, and uh, I I just can't imagine how much fun it is for her to get to work with this cast and vice versa because I know it was a total joy to have her on the show as well as Katie and Dylan. Uh, and uh, we, we spent time kind of covering some of their favorite examples of science fiction and fantasy both in theater and outside of theater um discovering the world of the rogue aviator and how that is influenced by specifically the steampunk or even more specifically the diesel punk genre and i kind of ask a little bit about like what makes something part of that genre because i'm not super well versed in things like that so I learned something from this about their show and about the world that it's set in and uh, it definitely intrigued me to check this show out as it does each time that they've been on the podcast if you listen to this and you feel the same way you definitely want to check out the rogue aviator I encourage you strongly to do so it runs from May 20th to June 10th on Thursdays Fridays 
Saturdays and Sundays. It is all pay what you can with a suggested price of 20 bucks. It's at uh, the Straw Dog Theater, which is newly at 1803 Bernice. And uh, I just, I really enjoy talking to these people each time they've been on the show a lot of the people who get discussed as other cast members of the rogue aviator have been on nbsing in the past uh mary kate and maura who play the um uh, antagonist and protagonist of the rogue aviator respectively have been on the show mary kate's done it a couple of times in the past so if you like this and you want to learn more about other world and uh kind of listen to more of what these uh company members and actors have to say about the things that they're bringing to the stage, I encourage you to check out those episodes as well. If you would like to support live comedy in Chicagoland area, you can come to the Fishbowl on Thursday nights at 930 hosted by the team that I am a member of, Sight Unseen. It is all improvisational comedy. You can see us do a long-form set to close out the show every week, and I strongly encourage your attendance because I think it's um, biasly really good improv. If you want to see a storytelling show with some music surrounding it, you can come to this month's edition of Your Stories. We're starting a residency at the Beat Kitchen here in Chicago. It's our first uh, Your Stories show there and first of many. So definitely come check out the new digs. It's in their upstairs space. The theme for this month is the Wild Women of the Woods because we're pairing up with a group called Smash Coven who um, kind of summons all their efforts from their group of resources and associates to create uh, pockets of magics and money to provide to nonprofits uh, to spend as they see fit. This particular event will benefit the Chicago Women's Health Center, so we'll have a suggested donation, and uh, we still have some spots open. If you'd like to tell a story, email yourstories at nerdlogs.com with a pitch, and we'll get back to you. But if you don't want to say anything, but you still want to come out and see the stories, do that anyway. Uh, this Sunday night, May 21st at 7 p.m., but, you know, if you can't make it in person, you can always listen to Your Stories as a podcast released every Monday. Uh, right now, the host and producer of Your Stories, Eric Garneau, is on the road with the show. So he's already released one of those tour episodes. You can listen to it right now. I mean, you could stop this and listen to that if you really wanted to. You could listen to this first and then listen to that after. It's uh, it's a kickoff show for a new podcast that we're bringing to the Nerdalogs Network called Let's Get It On, hosted by our friend Gary Lucy, who plays a character who is uh, filling in as the host of a, a Loveline-type radio call-in show. So when you're listening to it, uh, let's get it on. It feels very much like you're just listening to a radio show. You hear him as the host. You hear callers with um, questions for him or comments on whatever that week's topic is, all under the uh, umbrella of it being kind of like a Loveline sexy uh, uh, show hosted by this like a kind of inept nerdy dude. So it's very fun. It's a really good concept, and the your stories that came out this Monday features uh, a lot of the voice actors from the show. So uh, there's just so much um, to be had in the way of new stories and uh, new people um, 
falling under the uh, Nerdalogs umbrella of performers, and I'm really excited for people to hear it. And I know Eric and Gary are as well, so definitely check that out last, but certainly not least, on May 26th, next Friday at 10 p.m., I will be performing with Cards Against Humanity in a show that they've been calling Cards Against Humanity Live. We're doing a big improv show inspired by the game Cards Against Humanity um, at the Greenhouse Theater uh, in Chicago's Lincoln Park. It's uh, in their main stage space run an hour and a half or so. These are very funny shows. This is one of the biggest venues that we've done it in so far, and we're excited to kind of see how it all works. So if you'd like to be a part of that experiment, you can come on Friday, May 26th at 10 p.m. I've talked for far too long, and this is a fun episode, so I definitely want you all to get into it. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. You know, it's all good. I got here. I took a lift. Yeah, Yeah, well, I ended up doing that, too, Mm -hmm. but uh, long story. Yeah. (laughs) I I drove in from Hoffman Estates. Yeah. Whoa, yes. Traveling. Uh, You win. You had the longest commute. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. true. If this were a commute contest, uh, Molly's got us all beat. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. My guests today are from Otherworld Theater. Uh, I've had some members of theirs on the show uh, over the years from time to time, and it's always a joy, so we're doing it again. So I'm going to let Dylan go ahead and introduce himself, and if you guys can just say what your role is in the show that we'll touch on today, and uh, just kind of how maybe how you came to work with Otherworld. Uh, yeah, so my name is Dylan Schaefer. Um, I play the role of Johnny McHale in uh, Otherworld's Rogue Aviator. My wife started Otherworld, uh, my wife Tiffany. Um, so that's how I became involved. I started off sort of at an arm's length and eventually became uh, involved in everything. So that's <laughs> kind of how yeah. that works. Um <laughs> But uh, this is my second time on the show, so I'm happy to be back, and uh, thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. All right, Molly. Okay, my name is Molly Southgate. I am playing Cheryl Dolly in the show. I came to work with Otherworld through Edge Theater. I was working with them, and I was in my first professional show, actually with Katie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to be another one. So I found Rogue Aviator, and it sounded awesome, and steampunky. So That's great. That's how I came. Well, I'm very glad that uh, brought you here as well. As yeah. we were discussing before the show, Molly's officially the youngest guest that I've ever had on NBSing. So this Ooh. is a pretty big day for yeah. all of us. Famous. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited to be on here. Thank you. Uh, go ahead and take us away, Katie. All right. Uh, my name is Katie Jenkins. I play Mabel in the show. Mabel is the uh, sort of protege sidekick to the main character. She's a designer, which is um, pretty cool. She makes uh, the guns on Ellie's plane and some some bombs later on. Um, I came to work with Otherworld uh, on a bit of a two-pronged route. Um, first was the show uh, 
well, first is Moon Prism Power. Uh, I'm in a Sailor Moon musical parody show with yes. Otherworld. Yes. Um, I play Amy Mizuno or Sailor Mercury, um, which is a whole lot of fun. That was my first kind of official foray into the world of Otherworld. Um, and I also worked with Miss Molly over here um, in Edge Theater's production of Steampunk Christmas Carol. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's show sh- the show she mentioned earlier. Um, I play uh, Barb Ratchet, the Bob Cratchit character. Um, it's <laughs> pretty, pretty, uh-huh. pretty fun, yeah. Barb Ratchet. Barb Ratchet, yeah. yep, the Ratchet family. Miss Molly over here played Tiny Tim. She was pretty cute. Yeah, Tinker Tim. Yep, Tinker one. Tim. Yep, Tinker Tim. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys so much. Uh, do you guys feel like you have an origin point for your interest in uh, sci-fi fantasy where it specifically exists with theater? If And if not, you know, maybe we can just discuss your your love of sci-fi and fantasy in general. Well, um, if we're talking about fantasy, I'd say my, my interest sort of started with uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, my, my dad is a very, very big fan and would read... Uh, the Hobbit specifically to me every night before bed. And when I got old enough, I read it for myself, uh, read the Lord of the Rings. I started the Fellowship of the Ring when I was in third grade, um, realized it was too hard, waited <laughs> yeah. one summer and tried again. So fourth grade is is when I read Lord of the Rings. And I've been kind of hooked on fantasy ever since. Star Wars after that, um, some Star Trek as I got older. Love the sci-fi fantasy genre. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Had you done much of that in theater before the Edge s- production? Um, well, Edge, uh, similar to Otherworld, does kind of kind of fantasy stuff as well. Um, right. My my foray into that was uh, a mashup of. Um, uh, Macbeth and Star Wars into a show called McSith. Oh, um, I've heard of McSith, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I started out as uh, what we called a witch shade, which is kind of like background to the witches, and I eventually played a played a witch in a touring production, um, which was pretty cool. But Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think I've had someone who was involved in that show at some point on the podcast before, but I'm not going to be able to like oh, that's cool. pull it out of the depths. <laughs> uh, how about you, Molly? Where's Where's that start? Well, it really started when my parents started the podcast company, actually, because mm-hmm. before I wasn't really into that kind of thing. And then I'm like, okay, I don't like this stuff. And then even when they showed me Star Wars for the first time, I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> and then doc- I was my dad was watching Doctor Who one day, and I was like, what is this awesomeness? That's so, so then funny. Forever, um, since then, <laughs> I have... <laughs> always been so a geek star and wars unimpressed <laughs> i Doctor do Who. love star wars now <laughs> but i i do i i still don't really like the fourth one but i do the fourth one like a new hope like the yeah. very you don't new. like a new hope that is like my favorite one of the whole series so <laughs> we might have some I'm glad words i told you after I, after you casted me in this. <laughs> <laughs> well that's i mean i I, that's okay. I don't hold it against you. I'm not a huge Star Wars person myself. Yeah. Um, I uh, my mine stems from Star Trek. Mm. Um, not that I don't like Star Wars, but I'm uh, I'm uh, very into Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Say in, that in a way. First thing I knew about you. It, yeah. Star Trek. In a way that, like, when you think of people who are scarily into Star Wars, I'm that with Star Trek. <laughs> um. So you know. But Star Wars is cool. Um, <laughs> but mine started when I was four, and I would watch Star Trek: The Next Generation with my dad before I went to bed. Yeah. 
Um, and that's kind of how that started. And as far as acting goes, I was sort of always interested in acting from when I was uh, probably six or seven. Um, and it just was sort of a natural development that I would be interested in science fiction and fantasy. Um, and of course, uh, it wasn't my idea to start of the world. I thought that, <laughs> I thought yeah. that Tiffany was crazy. Um, but it's ended up being a, you know, pretty successful endeavor so far. Mm-hmm. And there, we, we found a lot of people who are, uh, interested in seeing those kind of stories on stage. So that's been a lot of fun. Yeah. It makes it makes sense, even though it seems like it's something that's not tackled all that often. I mean, we just, you know, went around the horn and talked about Lord of the Rings, you know, Doctor Who and Star Wars and Star Trek. And it's like, those are some of the biggest things, the biggest film franchises, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, it's undeniable that this is a thing that people can kind of share as a fandom. So it makes sense to also make theater in that yeah. realm. Well, what's interesting is that people, um, especially on both ends of the spectrum, theater purists and science fiction and fantasy purists, both very often have not understood why we've wanted to stage these stories. We mm-hmm. have people who tell us um, that it you should do them, you should do film and television because you know you can't you can't make that magic on the stage. And why would you even try? I think that's um, definitely not true. Well, yeah, obvi- really obviously, can. obviously, I agree that's not true. Um, and I think Tiffany, when she started the company in 2012, started it out of sort of defiance mm. of those people. <laughs> um, you know, she has a, you know, she got her, de- we went in college and she got, I got a degree in acting and hers is in directing. And, you know, she had people from her, you know, from her, teachers in her directing program through to professionals that she you know was pitching ideas to after college telling her that she shouldn't be directing science fiction Mm. that Um, is bizarre yeah Yeah, that's really weird i've seen your uh sailor moon shows and they're (laughs) amazing so there you go that really proves you can do that well and and for me my sort of um introduction to otherworld as a company um actually was messina um a couple, nice. a couple years ago, and even in a, that was in Mary's Attic in Andersonville, uh-huh. and even in a small space like that, magic happened, and <laughs> I think that's that's crazy that people don't think that that's possible. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think it. To me, theater is all about trying to find the ways to make you know something into the reality of the space. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of ridiculous <laughs> to just yeah. like. Well, you know, um, Elliot, who was on the show with me and Mary-Kate last time mm-hmm. about Messina mm-hmm. 3004, um, which was the Shakespeare adaptation. It was a, a much ado about nothing that Mary-Kate adapted. Um, Elliot always says he's Otherworld's literary manager, and he always says that he thinks it's in some ways more fun to stage these stories than it is to put them on a screen because the audience is forced to use their imagination like you're reading Mm. a book. Mm -hmm. And sure, you're not going to have amazing special effects that make you feel like you're hurtling through space, but you're able to use your imagination to fill in the areas um, as you see fit, Mm -hmm. um, which is what a lot of people love about, you know, the literary experience. And it's something that Mm -hmm. you can most closely simulate on the stage if you're talking about live performance. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and you know obviously we try our best to do cool effects and and things to make people you know ooh and ah but at the end of the day uh the special effect of warp speed is not what people like about star trek right no you know definitely not right it's you know it's the relationships and the stories and the Mm -hmm. human experience and the same thing with star wars i mean you know star wars is the classic hero's journey in (laughs) space yeah yeah it seems to me that if what you want out of your sci-fi fantasy entertainment is like large-scale uh you know fighting explosion special effect type things there's plenty of that and like uh, uh, and (laughs) a lot of it like doesn't have good scripts to hold it up and thus it doesn't really interest me that much you know Mm -hmm. it seems like it's easier to find something that looks cool but is doesn't necessarily like move you doesn't have any meat to it yeah like i was in a production of star wars and there were hardly any special effects like I played a part of the Death Star. There were they <laughs> put several kids all dressed in black. Half of us forgot to dress in black, and we were like black and white, and lined them up to like this is the Death Star. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, I want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> I got to play Jabba. Oh yeah, um, Edge's Skywalker cycle. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay, so you've done stuff with Edge for a while. Oh yeah, since I was eight and a half. No way. Well, how old are you now, if I, I may ask? Yeah. I'm sorry. I oh, know you're not yeah. supposed to ask a lady her <laughs> age. I don't care. Uh, I, neither I, do I, and I'm yeah. much older than you. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I am 10 now. I just turned 10 in March. That is awesome. Uh, you could be my kid. <laughs> uh, well, we were talking earlier that uh, you were also Otherworld's first child actor. Yeah. Uh, does that, so it, working with Edge, it sounds like you were around a lot of kids. Uh, oh, yeah. How has the experience been so far with Otherworld? It, it's been amazing. I, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm putting you in a position where you oh. can't say anything too bad. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> Nothing has been bad. It's, Good. They, everybody, that, everyone, all the adults are kind of like children. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Thanks, basically Molly. the same. <laughs> Thanks for that. Oh, that was the best. Yeah. I didn't know where that was going, and like that wasn't what I was expecting. No. But I think in some ways, but you don't necessarily mean that as a bad thing. Oh no, no, I, no. It's it's a good thing, but I'm just saying it. It's not very different. It I feels find. fun and like yeah, you're hanging still, out with peers. Oh yeah, definitely. That's great. <laughs> That's really wonderful. Well, it seems like I mean, I guess if you're making pretend together. There's uh, not too much that can make it feel like you're, uh, I guess, unless you're really taking yourselves too seriously and mm-hmm. not having a good time yeah. and yeah. ordering everybody around and stuff like that, then it wouldn't be as fun for you. That but. does not happen. <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's one of the things that, you know, when you're doing heavy-handed material, mm-hmm. um, you have to have fun with it and, and you have to, <laughs> you know, all of us, you know, love this genre that's, fun and goofy and adventurous um and if you know you look at professional you know huge professional productions of people who do science fiction really heavy-handed stuff Mm -hmm. and like you know the one that i always since i know literally everything there is to know about star trek especially (laughs) the next generation that that cast was like the goofiest cast in hollywood Mm -hmm. and that everyone loved guest starring for them because they were so ridiculous all the time um and you know i think that 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 kind of comes with the t- with the territory, you know. Star Trek: The Next Generation is not a funny show, 
um, and it can be pretty heavy handed. Mm-hmm. Um, but every time they cut the cameras, they were dancing <laughs> and singing, <laughs> and, you know, doing all this crazy stuff. Um, and, you know, I think it really helps um, the actors uh, play off each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in this show that we're doing in the Rogue Aviator, uh, we've got some heavy handed <laughs> stuff oh, that yeah. goes on with family, uh, emotional abuse, uh, mm-hmm. lots yeah. of violence and guns. And oh, uh, so our so first show that we've guns. done live gunfire in, too. Whoa, that's a fun, cool. that's a little fun yeah, fact. A I, lot I, of guns in this show. <laughs> I learned for this show how to fire a stage firearm. Nice. The people. That's pretty cool. Not near anyone's face. No, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, I'm glad there's nothing coming out of the end because in one of the scenes I get shot, shot at, at. <laughs> it like the bullets go like around me. So I'm oh. like, nothing will come out of the end. <laughs> and we're not using real guns, folks. Definitely yeah. not. Definitely not. <laughs> Stage combat weapons only. So yeah. uh, let's dive into what the show about is about a little. Why not? Um, okay. So it's called The Rogue Aviator. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of a background on this show. So the last main stage that we did was A Princess of Mars. Which um, was wonderful. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, Princess of Mars was amazing. <laughs> well, thank you. I wasn't in it, but... Uh, Still really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was an adaptation, Other Worlds original adaptation, of the original Edgar Rice Burroughs novel, um, which Disney made an unfortunate adaptation of a few years ago called John Carter. Oh. I didn't um, know that. Yeah. Interesting. You oh. didn't know about John Carter? No. Yeah. yeah. John it Carter was, was, was a flop. Yeah, huge flop. Oh, really? Now I have to um, watch it. It's, I do, too. Yeah. You know, there are people who like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I fell asleep during it, so, <laughs> you know. It to was each his own. Pretty yeah. universally considered a flop. Like yeah. it, it was they spent uh, so much money. A ton of money on hmm. it. Like to the point where people were talking about whether it was going to like kind of hurt other like sci-fi oh, films dear. from getting oh. made, which doesn't seem to be true at all. But there are a lot of weird rumors about that that movie that were circulating that the executives wouldn't let them call it John Carter of Mars, mm. which is the actual the title. W- well, that's yeah. the actual title of the series mm-hmm. of books because there's like nine thousand of them. Um, there's not nine thousand. There's a lot though, <laughs> um, and because there were so many Mars movies that were coming out, the executives oh. were like, "No, you can't have Mars in the title." Yeah, that's a rumor. I don't know if that's blah, true, blah, blah. but that's that's what Elliot says. So if I'm wrong, it's Elliot's fault. <laughs> just blame everything on Elliot. I I usually do. <laughs> um, and then there was just uh, there was just a lot of what I believe was studio interference, mm-hmm. and it just ended up being a goofy like you know. And one of the things that we did with *The Princess of Mars* is we we adapted it and to bring the female characters into a more, you know, the original novel is there's a lot of problems with the original novel. It's mm-hmm. very very sexist and very racist. Um, it it just is. You know, it was written in the early 1900s, and Edgar Rice Burroughs mm-hmm. yeah. was you know a a white dude. Mm-hmm. So that's just kind of how that was. Um, so we took the characters and brought them into the 21st century and. You know, the princess was not played by Mary Kate. Um, was not a uh, damsel in distress. She was, a, oh, no. you know, she was a full, able-bodied character. Mm-hmm. Um, so that show, though, where I was going with this, was adapted by Nick Izzo, uh, who's a playwright who we started working with after he submitted a couple of short plays for our Paragon Play Festival that we do every year. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick and Tiffany, our artistic director. Um, 
adapted to Princess of Mars, and he had this idea for the rogue aviator in his head for a while. I'm not sure exactly how long, but I do know that his daughter is named Ellie, uh, (laughs) who's the main character in the show. Um, And he had started talking to Tiffany about producing this for the stage, and he, at first, before he knew us, didn't believe that it would be possible because it's about airplanes and a floating cloud city and there's dog fights and gunfire and all kinds of, you know, all kinds of craziness. Um, after he saw Princess of Mars, he approached us and said, I think you guys can do this that's show. That's so yeah. cool. Um, so that's where it came from. And it really is, it's, it's you know, steampunkish, but really it's the sub-subgenre, diesel punk. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, is like steampunk, only it's more industrial revolution technology. Mm-hmm. Think, you know, diesel-powered things. Yeah. Um, set in the late 1920s through 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of like blowing up Nazis um, that yep. is part of mm-hmm. that um, subgenre because uh, it kind of intersects with World War II. Um, and you can kind of think of it like if, and this is, this is what I read about it. You can correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. Katie. Uh, the best way I think of diesel punk is if the world never moved out of the 1930s, but technology did. Exactly. Uh, so yes. you have high-tech devices, yeah. but everything looks like it would have in the oh. 30s. That cool. fashion stays the same, architecture stays the same, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But you te- technology continues to progress. So you have like high-powered guns, and we have the technology to build a floating city, uh, yeah. stuff like that. So the the actual plot takes place on a city called Olympus, which is a floating cloud city, basically, <laughs> that's been constructed above yeah. the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and it follows Ellie McLeod, who is the rogue aviator, um, as Yay. she battles sky pirates and uh, her father, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> who's, uh, who's the commander of the fighting aces, um, who are like the pr- police force protectors of Olympus. They fight the sky pirates and they, you know, and they, they sort of oversee everything. Um, and then there's, uh, of course, a villainous pirate uh, mm-hmm. named Salino, who uh, is Mary played Kate. by Mary Kate. Yeah, Mary mm-hmm. Kate Arnold. Um, and uh, she has her own backstory of hate and anger uh, and uh, decides she's going to try and. Uh, take the city for her herself mm-hmm. um so that's kind of the plot in a nutshell yeah um did i miss anything nope i think that's a pretty good overview yeah that is um and it, you know we go through different time periods so we have molly playing a child version of ellie yes in some really cool scenes a couple different versions of of child ellie yeah three right? different versions yeah. yeah um and uh you know it's a lot of um family drama mm-hmm. um i play oh. ellie's brother um, uh, who also doesn't get along with our father, but is a part of the fighting ace, you know, battalion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, it's really, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's like it, Star Wars meets diesel punk meets, uh, uh, uh everything I'm, amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah much. Um, meets a uh, sky captain in the world of yeah. tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of a, a, a really cool sci-fi uh, romp. Yeah. There's also a great cast of um, 
uh, female characters that go along with the lead, Ellie. Um, she has kind of backup um, in uh, the rogue aviators. Uh, there's her mentor, um, her friend mechanic, who's all, who's the sidekick. There's my character, yeah. Mabel, who's learning from Ellie, um, but Ellie kind of kind of babies her a little bit, like, uh, the world is dangerous. You, mm. you can know things, but you can't do things. Mm. Um, and Mabel just wants to go out and kind of make a name for herself, because she grew yeah. up hearing about the adventures that Ellie and her mentor had. And she's like, I want to get out there. I want to do it. And Ellie's like, eh, you're little. Why don't you just sit down for a little while? Yeah. What's it like playing um, a different version of the main character? It's Sometimes it would be kind of hard, but me and Mora, who she's out, she's adult Ellie, mm-hmm. I feel like we're very alike. <laughs> so we play the role. I can role actually see like, you being a good, like, yeah. young version of Mora. We play the role very similarly. Mm-hmm. That's so great. I, I didn't really give it a second thought, like, oh, am I not playing it like she is? I just kind of played it. Uh, that's it's, nice. Yeah. So you, you don't necessarily see yourself as, like, you know, taking notes on Mora's, no. like, no, I'm not <laughs> mannerisms I'm, or anything. I'm just kind of sitting there like, oh, yes, we do that the same way. And, yeah. That's really cool. At the world building rehearsal we had kind of at the top, just mm-hmm. kind of talking about um, the world and everyone's first impressions of their characters, um, Molly went before Mora, and Molly started talking, and it was funny. As Molly was saying her ideas and what she thought about the character, Mora was just, like, nodding. That's like, so yes, amazing. Yes, yeah. I think those things, too. Yes. And then we got to Mora, and Mora was like, yeah, pretty much, pretty much what she said. That's <laughs> yes. fantastic. That's really cool. Uh, I remember uh, listening to a... Uh, an interview with the director of Moonlight um, about casting because that features the two main characters over three acts of their lives Mm. and they're all, they're six different actors basically. And he was kind of talking about trying to cast those roles and he said he paid a lot of attention to um, uh, the way their eyes interacted with other actors. And I was like, whoa, it kind of blew my mind that that was like, he mostly was was paying attention to like how they saw the world, and even though they don't necessarily match up, especially like the second to third actor um, visually, like uh, uh, they don't necessarily look like they do in the end have really similar like mm. feels and mannerisms. So it's cool to hear you kind of speak to yeah. that um, experience as well, because uh, I feel like that's a, a kind of a tall order to mm. be expected to like sell being the same person. There are a couple of cool scenes. There's a really cool scene um, where Molly plays child Ellie interacting with Annabelle, who's the mentor Mm -hmm. and sort of like the original rogue aviator. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's also cool about these rogue aviators is there are rogue aviators that are parts of that that are you know men and women but mm-hmm. that this really follows this group of women yeah. um rogue aviators yeah. who we should actually mention we didn't talk about this a big reason why they're rogues is because women aren't allowed to fly right oh, oh yes in the fighting aces part of why Ellie went off and she hates her father is because she just wanted to fly a plane. She's really good at it. But he would be like, women can't do that. It's not a job for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, girls don't get to do that. Yeah. And uh, and her brother, uh, who I play, who's, you know, oh, Johnny's kind of a lovable loser, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. He is in the Fighting Aces, but he's not talented like Ellie is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, that's great. And he went to war and was injured and lost his arm. 
um, and is sort of seen as this as shameful by their father, Duke. Mm-hmm. It's um, like, come on. <laughs> yeah. I lost my arm. The cool yeah. thing is that now I have a bionic arm bionic. in the show. Yes. That's awesome. Um, so that's neat. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, so, but he can't really fly planes anymore. It's hard for him to use the arm. Um, and, it, you know, you can't really fly a plane one-handed. Right. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing. But the scene I was mentioning earlier was, um, so Annabelle, who was sort of the leader of this bunch, um, has this scene with Ellie as a child where Ellie's convincing her to let her join them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you see scenes with child Ellie and older Ellie with Annabelle and seeing how they interact with each other mm-hmm. um, is really a lot of fun. And Molly is really hilarious in that scene. <laughs> Thank you. Um, She's very funny. Oh, she, um, yeah. You very just, sassy. You just have Sarah's to come. hysterical too. Yeah, Sarah Robinson, um, uh, who does a lot of work with Idol Muse Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, she plays Annabelle, and she's great, too. Um, and her and Molly together are just very, <laughs> very, very funny. That's so awesome. Uh, so I am, like, not super familiar with uh, the genres of, like, steam and diesel punk. Um, and it was interesting to hear you specifically, like, speak to the difference there. We The Nerdalogs made a card game a couple of years ago that we felt was steampunked themed um but just like very loosely you know it didn't really have anything to do with the card game kind of like you guys were talking about it was just kind of like a world building Mm -hmm. type exercise and uh one of the like (laughs) negative comments that we got when we were play testing it was this one was like i actually think this is more diesel punk than it is (laughs) steampunk (laughs) that's awesome and we were like oh uh thank you like A lot of people don't know the the difference between the two because diesel punk is really like you mentioned earlier. It's like a subset of steampunk. Yeah, and that was the thing is like we weren't trying to be that specific about yeah, you it. Just kind of so get the feel. I'm sure where she was like perfectly accurate in her assessment. <laughs> yeah. We were like it wasn't even something that was on our radar, yeah. and we yeah. it wasn't even really like we're trying to sell it as like look at this cool steampunk game yeah. we made. You know, it was just the feel it had. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, what would you say, Katie? As someone who is a big fan of this genre, mm-hmm. like, what are some things that you really uh, like about it? Like, what are stories that have been told in the genre that you're familiar with? Oh, uh, well, if we're if we're talking about famous stories in steampunk, you got to go back to Jules Verne, yeah, um, the father of steampunk, as it were. Um, uh, Two Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, stuff like that is where you get the the basis of of the genre itself. That kind of um, metal uh, metal gears and and that sort of thing um it's where that all kind of started um as far as uh, modern stuff there's a good web comic um called girl genius uh that that is in the steampunk kind of genre and I, I think it's a good nod to the fact that uh the the genre is kind of permeating all kinds of stuff I mean, we have theater and um books obviously uh, web comics other stuff too. Um, Video games, the Bioshock, Bioshock series. Oh yeah, definitely is, is a steampunk um, for sure. And you know, it should be noted too that there are now a ton of punk sub yes. sub genres. Yes, indeed, cyberpunk yeah. and biopunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that woman giving us that note was the first time I'd ever become aware of like oh, something yeah. that wasn't just steampunk. <laughs> steampunk. When, um, 
you guys emailed me and you're like, okay, this is a diesel punk story. I'm like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm glad I wasn't the only one no, uh, who, who hadn't dug this deep. Um, but it's like mostly an aesthetic and a setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you, do you, is there considered like a year that this story is happening in? Uh, we're in the 30s, aren't so we? So actually, 20s, this 30s? I believe is 1927. Oh, okay. Um, it's before the Great Depression. Mm. Um, and our show is set in the actual like 20s, 30s, mm-hmm. unlike some diesel punk that is like in the future, but yeah. still that same aesthetic. Yeah, I guess that's where my question kinda. was. Was yeah. I, I didn't know whether it was a uh, yeah. Uh, to give you to give cool. you a background on it, the way from what I understand it, how it was written, um, there was World War One, and after World War One, Duke, who was a World War One soldier, mm-hmm. um, Duke McHale, um, worked with captains of industry, the steel and oil barons, to build this gigantic floating city as a means to defend the United States um, cool. from yeah. the air. Because air technology, World War One was the first war where, where planes were actually used. Yeah, that's where it's really popular. Um, so he believed, and he was a mechanic, he came up as a mechanic in the army as sort of his backstory, um, and he, fl- he was one of the first pilots, first, uh, uh, particularly first combat pilots, mm-hmm. Um, so he believed that building a aerial defense was essential for you know for the United States. So that's kind of how this city was built, um, and it sort of has a weird political place now because it operates on its own, <laughs> it being a giant sort of ship floating under Duke's command. Under that, yeah, under Duke's command. But there's United States citizens that live on this city, and it's huh. a city with mm-hmm. civilians, with thousands of people who live. Mm-hmm. Um, who live on it and work to keep it floating. So there's a whole you know kind of B plot in the in the play about a United States senator who's like not really wanting to have all of this you know have his constituents living in a semi province of the United States you know and he wants to bring it under control of the mm-hmm. government. So they'll so they're sometimes on on earth on the ground and sometimes up so oh, okay. but duke her father would be traveling back and forth frequently because mm-hmm. he was building this sure gigantic monstrosity <laughs> interesting <laughs> little note about um some people growing up in olympus and some people not um if you look at the cast uh the people that primarily grew up in the in the continental united states have more kind of a southern sort of sound a western sort of sound uh-huh. and the people that grew up or work primarily on olympus have more of a transatlantic um almost like a newscaster kind of accent that's um, really cool. like big city yeah. like 20 yeah. like like roaring 20s big city kind oh, of okay sure you know kind of sound and you mentioned southern too and this just like western like reminded me firefly is another good yes. um, yeah sort of influence influence on that the show. makes mm. a lot of sense um but you know yeah so that's that's basically and it's a little bit muddy and like when exactly everyone moved to olympus yeah. but there's a lot of propaganda around come to this city it's the jewel, you know, the jewel in the sky, um, and you can start your life over and live in the, you know, in the modern world. Yeah, which has its trappings, uh, for sure. There's a, uh, you know, it's advertised as, as most things are, as, as the jewel, the bright, shining pinnacle of, of now. And um, part of Selino's darkness is her, f- her father kind of got trapped 
there. Because mm. he was a worker. Mm-hmm. Uh. And they would keep, like, yeah, she has a line in the, in the show how everything, like, everything that they had to pay for, they didn't have any money. So they would have, because they would have to move there, and that would cost money. So they would keep adding it to their tab, everything the that they had to pay for. the city kind of traps them, like, yeah, you can yeah. work for us. We'll give you the tools, but you'll have to pay for those, so we'll garnish the wages for that, and it just builds and builds and yeah. builds. Yeah, it's sort of a, it's sort of a commentary yeah, on the whole I was gonna say. Uh, <laughs> living in debt uh, situation. For that, sure. So there's a lot of stuff that mirrors, you know, economic conditions now um, which things. which make uh, you know which makes a lot of sense um but yeah that's true is that you know you've got the elites of olympus duke and his band of you know of of elite people and which ellie was would was you know considered an elite mm-hmm. born you yeah. know person and then selino the villain who uh her father was a laborer mm. and um was you know went to olympus to make a better life and ended up being trapped, you know, just working in the city, unable to pay off his debts, which is where the m- most of the lower class exist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you sort of, you know, it, it really is sort of like a pre-depression yeah. depression because you have the lower classes who have nothing, the upper classes that have everything, and there is nobody in between. Yeah. Um, is sort of how the structure on Olympus works, which mm-hmm. is yeah. another reason the United States is sort of like, Hey, what's going on here? (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) What do you think about, uh, what do you think it is about sci-fi, probably specifically, but uh, to a certain extent, fantasy as well? It seems like, especially now, some of the more more popular things are to kind of, like you said, like take things that are based in reality and kind of figure out how to, um, you know, put them into a, a bit more of a fantastical world mm-hmm. or an alternate reality, mm-hmm. um, which is what it seems like uh, this is, or an alternate history, history, exactly, if you will. What do you think, uh, you know, draws you to that kind of aesthetic? Um, I think it's a chance to really let the imagination run wild. Like, here's here's this thing that is grounded in reality, but if we let it expand beyond the means of reality um take take the time period that our show is set in as we mentioned earlier technology continues to advance so it's in some ways both the best and the worst of that time period it's the whole range of humanity um you find different (laughs) colors in people um situations bring out the best and worst um you can do sort of whatever you want. And at least to me, it's, it's a, a sense of adventure, um, which I think Mabel, Mabel shares a lot, my character. Um, adventure in, in many different worlds and times, but still based in humanity and realness. So you do a lot of like watching of things like Doctor Who. Yeah. And they have a lot of alternate reality type, you know, episodes. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you meet Van Gogh and stuff like that. And yeah. it's like, Van Gogh never met the doctor because mm-hmm. that's but not real. <laughs> yeah, um, I wish that was real. <laughs> right. Right. So what's it like being a consumer of things like that versus actually being a part of the story? It's, yeah, it's, it kind of is like what Katie said. It feels amazing. So mm-hmm. it's like I, I've loved all of these 
things, and then I get to be a part of it. So I, before I was really an actress, I had just been watching the things, and now I'm like, I get to be in Star Wars, and <laughs> there you I go. get to do that. I f- it, it's really good. It's a really fun. Do you feel like when you were just watching things, you found yourself like putting yourself into the story or relating to specific characters? Kind of. The, when since I've like been in the shows, I mm-hmm. feel like I've gotten deeper into the stories. Do you think you do that more now that you've oh. like had the opportunity to be an actor? Yeah. Now that you watch things, you kind of watch it more I, as an actor. I yeah, I watch it as an actor or like a director <laughs> standpoint. Like, oh, they're having the time of their lives, screaming their heads off. That's and, great. Yeah. I I think something that is important that you sort of just touched on. Um, when you were talking about, you know, how, what it means to be in this genre and talking about things uh, and presenting stories that relate to reality is like, like, that's what really good science fiction does is it makes you think about your own reality. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the reasons why I liked Star Trek so much. You know, if you go back and you watch episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, they're talking about gay rights and global warming mm-hmm. and all of these things that you couldn't talk about on TV back then because, you know, it was, you know, you had more than half of the country that that didn't believe those things were real or didn't mm-hmm. want to have to deal with those realities. But when you set it in space you know, suddenly you're removed enough to be able to open people's minds. That's a really interesting point that the con that it's like recontextualized in a oh, way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the original series of Star Trek started that way. I mean, that was, you know, they were talking, they had, ta- they were talking about the Vietnam war and they were talking about race relations. Um, sometimes, you know, not in a very subdued way. <laughs> um, and, it's one of the reasons they had trouble with the studio executives because they're telling mm-hmm. them, hey, you can't talk about this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, uh, but it, it allows people to relate to it in a comfortable way. You know, yeah. you don't have to, you don't have to, you know, with this show, you don't have to face the reality of economic inequality. Mm. Yeah. You know, in a depressing way that you would have to if you were looking at a play about realism and people losing, huh. losing their, uh, losing everything. It's there and it colors the world. Um, yeah, but it it's an easier way to look at it almost. Well, it, re- it helps you remove yourself yeah. from it, where you it, can you can appreciate the story and the lesson, um, but it's not necessarily like watching a realistic play where somebody's lost their home to the bank. Yeah, you know. Yeah, in this show also, it kind of really shows you the world because it's like showing you how awful like it really is on olympus for the people that can't afford to pay their way and do everything and yeah so it kind of shows that get the opportunity to be empathetic to that situation without having any of the like real world quote-unquote real world things like tied to it yeah Yeah. also it doesn't like ellie mcleod she doesn't really go through that you could say she doesn't go through that struggle as much. Right. So you hear that it's happening. You hear about it, but you you don't really have to be like, oh, the lead just, yeah, just lost her house. And well, you know, what's interesting, too, is you mentioned that Ellie didn't go through it because she was an elite. Right. Um, yeah. But Selino, the villain, did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a, you know, you, you know they had a relationship um, when they were both, 
sort of rogues before. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if it's totally clear. They were like rogues, bounty but hunters, bounty hunters, of. not yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they worked together, um, but they came from very different backgrounds, which colored their their feelings towards Olympus mm-hmm. and how they wanted yeah. to where so where Ellie went the route of the rogue aviator uh sort of um uh what would you call it um vigilante yes yeah um Selino became a sky pirate yeah um she was like because Selino was like oh Olympus hurt me so much I'm gonna hurt them Mm. And Ellie was much more like, I want to help people. I want to be the hero. Even, like... And kind of help Olympus be a better place. Yeah, she wants to, like, get rid of the, like, really bad people and help things. Well, and and she she wants it to be easier for people like her, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she... Because she wanted to fly planes and she was told no. Yeah, she also... She understands the workers working down there, so she's really trying to help with that. She's like, I'm going to keep everyone safe not just mm-hmm. the elite and everybody yeah i think it's very interesting that that ellie and selino are both they've both been hurt by olympus mm-hmm. um, yeah ellie ellie comes from a she wants she wants to be a, a fighter and her dad who is the commander is like no you can't do it she can't be a part of that ideal in the same way, Selino also can't be part of the ideal More because because, of the, because like, class. she's lower class and and they they come from the same place in a manner of speaking, but as you mentioned, take two very different routes about how they go about trying to implement the change that they want to see. Yeah, it sounds so like <laughs> it's so ripe with stuff that is so pertinent. To it really is our current uh, like yeah. culture and class. And, and things like that uh, clashing. Um, so, it, it, which it's like, every time you guys come in to do the show, that every show is like, wow, this feels really like pertinent. So <laughs> your programming is yeah. on point, uh, Otherworld. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's very cool that you guys get to kind of experience all that through this, uh, you know, context and lens. And it seems like you're giving an opportunities, uh, an opportunity for audiences to experience a lot of that through a little bit of a, um, a different lens. And it's cool. I guess I didn't really think about the idea that uh, you're more willing to kind of listen to a story about this or watch a story about this if it's not, you know, this American Life, someone is well, legitimately right. telling, not to say that, like, you know, This American Life is a great program, but it's it's a person who's real, and it's probably going to be depressing sometimes, and, like, you're, mm-hmm. you're a little more like, mm, I don't know if I could do that today, than you may be if it's like, well, we're going to show you a, a, a class war and, uh, you know, a, a civilization that's keeping women down, but it's a totally fake thing, and... <laughs> yeah, it a lot, yeah. It allows you to just relax a little bit and mm-hmm. say like, "Oh, that's a that's an interesting message," and it's good messaging for like younger people too. Who I mean, this show you know isn't quite as yeah. kid friendly as a, like mm-hmm. a Princess of Mars was, though it's not you know it, it's not terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll see worse watching TV. Yeah. Um, it does have some things, but not bad. Yeah, and there's some swearing and there's some gunfire like we talked about. But right. it's, a lot of it's, gunfire. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's not it's not it's not terrible. Um, but it just keeps it accessible, I think, to more, you know, more 
generations of people. Yeah. What um, do you think is the worst? Like, what is the thing that you've watched that like you had no business watching? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um. Well, this was kind of my parents doing. Right. I, and <laughs> this is why two, I ask because you things. seem like a self-aware enough kid that I can be like, I know there's something that you've watched there, that you probably shouldn't have there watched. There are two things. <laughs> Austin Powers. Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. And Blazing Saddles. Okay. <laughs> wow. Very yes. nice. Well, I have to say, I watched Blazing Saddles when I was her age with my dad. I uh, also yeah. watched Blazing Saddles at a pretty young age mm-hmm. with my yeah, dad. I watched, so. Yeah, I also watched Young Frankenstein, but that's not. It's a little. It's a little it's goofier. Young yeah. Frankenstein is more kid friendly. Yeah. Blazing Saddles is pretty. Uh, <laughs> they yeah. Go. yeah. Blazing Saddles is a movie that wouldn't have gotten made today. Uh, oh no. Um, but that's amazing. Thank you for uh, being sure. willing to field that question, and uh, God bless you. Um, uh, oh man, I loved the Austin Powers movies when I was a kid. Did so you like good. it? Okay. Oh yeah, yes. I watched. I watched yes. the second one. I didn't watch the others okay. yet. But I need to. The watch. The first one's great. I mean, the first one I think is the best one. The I, first one. The second one's good. The I was going to say good. the first one and second, second one are both worth. Yeah. A good laugh. The second one is great. Yeah. The second one is great because the second it's the, one is Mini Me. Yeah. Uh, Mini Me. Yeah. yeah. There's there's a lot of good stuff in the second one. The first two are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, it's it questionable. Goes down, it goes yeah, a little goes downhill. downhill. But oh really? I thought the third one was good. It's what's that one? It's gold member. Still, yeah, I gold so. member. I I think if you're willing to like buy all the things that the first movie is, or the the first two movies are, there are still good jokes to be had in gold member. Just have to really buy into it. But it's very, <laughs> yeah. it's like even sillier and more absurd, and, and you know, not much of a a like. Great plot structure to be spoken. Yeah, the first, the first, you know what it is. The first two did such a good job of parodying yeah. what mm-hmm. they were parodying, right? Yeah. And like it, it was kind of, I think, just worn out a little bit by the time yeah. you got to the third one. Yeah, it's. I think that probably is the biggest problem is that it's it's retrotting a lot of like jokes and satires that you've already seen in the yeah. first couple, but. I'm so glad that you think those movies are funny. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, they oh, are. They're they are super funny. And like that's a another thing that like really doesn't get made that much anymore. Just so, seeing like vehicles for jokes, like yeah. uh, like movies like Airplane. I don't know if you've seen Airplane, but it's no. very similar in the sense that it's basically like. Uh, um, you know, similarly, like satirizing film and not taking itself seriously at all, and and just a a series of silly jokes. You know, there are those movies, but they're not good. Yes, I <laughs> guess that's. Sorry for anyone who disagrees, but it's like you know, there was like the beginning of those that were good. You've got like Scary Movie. I'm talking uh, about now, right? Which Scary Movie? The first Scary Movie was great. Yeah, well, yeah. the whole series. Like... But but then it really everything. It was superhero movie, and yeah. it was this movie, and it was that right. movie. And I guess and that's where I'm those coming movies. from. Is like there's nothing that's like a good example of that yeah. really happening anymore. I mean, uh, with the like possible, I thought Popstar was hilarious, and it's similar in the way that it just like totally takes down this like the idea of a, a rock documentary and things like yeah. that. <laughs> um, it, it's it, kind of off topic, but but I'm glad you let us pick your brain a little, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and I'm really glad you like Austin Powers. Yeah, I, I find <laughs> like the show, the comedy show is better now. Yeah, like, TV on on yeah. on or uh, comedy on TV is much better than comedy on film currently. I think yeah. it's just easier to make a good funny TV show, like mm-hmm. Parks and Rec and the first time. season of Kimmy, not the second one. I didn't like the second <laughs> one. All right, all right, and all of Shit's Creek. 
Oh, I haven't seen Shit's Creek yet, but I just I've heard Shit's Creek is really good. I have I haven't seen uh, it. Either. Well, once you get old enough, you can see Eugene Levy in a little movie called American Pie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't watch that yet. Nope. <laughs> don't watch that yet. Um, all right. <laughs> and hell, hey, don't forget about uh him and all of the uh uh mockumentary uh movies that he did. Oh yeah. The Christopher Guest films. Yeah. Oh my I was just about to talk about those. Really? Have you so seen good. that? Yeah, Best in Show. Uh, I was gonna show, say you could we, probably do any of those. Waiting that, for Guffman. Yeah, we saw Best in Show and Waiting for Guffman. I wanna those see. Those are the my other favorite ones. ones. And uh, he just created a show. A too. Mighty Wind yeah. is also a Mighty fantastic. Wind is good. <laughs> you're you're gonna love a Mighty Wind. Well and there's For Your Consideration, which is about the Oscars, uh, oh, which yeah. is very funny too. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's good. Um, man, to be like uh, witnessing all this stuff for the first time would be <laughs> so cool. Um, but I will say, like, uh, I came to Star Wars pretty late in life myself, myself, self, self, and it's good, but I guess I'm, I understand that you didn't come around on it like immediately when you yeah. saw it. <laughs> um, now I love it. I, I mean, I also what, think. What was it that you didn't like? I don't know. I didn't. Talk I don't. About this now. <laughs> what? We have to talk about yeah. this now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might have been the story in the first one. I don't. I also I was really little. Mm-hmm. I think I, yeah. I might have been like four or five when I watched it. Then I watched the fifth one, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And then I and then I was Jabba, and I was in the sixth one, but I hadn't seen the sixth one, so my director made me watch that one, and I <laughs> loved that one. Research. I do think that that uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi are are more like entertaining, mm-hmm. like with a capital yeah. E. Like there's more going on in those movies. Yeah, I love Empire, and I really love like Rogue One, and I love the newer ones. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Force Awakens was fantastic, Awakens and I'm really excited amazing. for episode. I, I'm Ray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Molly is Ray. That's awesome. I have a different opinion on the new movies, but I'll leave that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I went for another time. I'll, I'll leave that alone. Uh, but Empire is in, it's interesting because usually kids don't like Empire as mm-hmm. much really? because it's a little bit slower. Yeah. Um, and the plot is way more complicated. Yes. Um, but Empire is, I think, among Star Wars people who, again, I don't consider myself to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Empire is considered to be like the crown jewel of, yeah. oh, yeah. of the franchise. I would agree with I that. I love A New Hope, but I'm not really a. I wouldn't consider I mean, myself. I, look, I think all. Star I think Wars all three so. movies are great. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they really yeah. are solid yeah. films. Yeah. And I and I don't. Pe- some people don't like Jedi, and I think Jedi is a really fun movie too. So I love Jedi. It's yeah. not my favorite, but I really like it. Yeah. I uh I don't love it either, but I get it. You know. <laughs> yeah. I get it. <laughs> I mean, some, people, some people hate the stuffed animal bears, but you know. <laughs> oh, I love the Wookiees. <laughs> they were yeah. They cut them out of the play I was in. I'm like, how dare you cut out the Wookiees? Probably for the same reasoning that they had to cut them all down to tiny bears. <laughs> Just budget cuts. Budget cuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, think I, I think I read somewhere that they were so, were they originally supposed to be like on the Wookiee planet, Chewbacca's planet. I think so, yeah. yeah. And then they were like, uh, that's too expensive. That's I, I, I them, yeah. They, they made I them all the bears. I believe that's yeah. part of the lore. Is yeah. that oh, I always call them Wookiees. They're them Ewoks. Ewoks. Ewoks, yeah, Ewoks. Yeah, there there is part of the lore that they scaled them down to Ewoks just basically as budget cuts. Even Probably would have been yeah. One of my uh, favorite things Wookie just planet. talking about budget is, um, of course, everyone loves Yoda. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves, love Yoda. loves Yoda. Mm-hmm. Looking at Yoda 
in the in uh the the originals uh mm-hmm. in new hope and empire and uh, the puppet <laughs> versus you know cgi yoda right um, i like I, puppet yoda so much more. me too me that's partially because i can appreciate the artistry of like that is someone operating that puppet and that, uh, the, that, that that blows my mind. Is amazing. I mean, exactly. it look it looks good today. Yes. I mean it. Yes. Th- those movies. One of the reasons that they hold up so well is because you can watch them today and be like, "Yeah, it looks pretty good." Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we're. I think we actually have like. I could be wrong. This is a little like out of my ass, but uh, there there's a certain element of like I think we're a little past the age of only doing things with special effects and i think we're kind of I like i hope so back, Me too. I, it seems like some directors some directors yeah, do yeah some and that's sort of puppets and things uh, right, right well that's what it brings us back to what we were talking about with things on the stage you have no choice but to build things physically exactly. on the stage which right. i think is what's so cool about doing this genre on stage um jg abrams went back to using models mm-hmm. um for some not all but some of the ships in um in uh the force awakens and if you watch that movie and you're wondering, gosh, the it looks so much better than a lot of it's because he's using models. Yep. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I totally think that there's there's just something with CGI you just can't simulate reality mm-hmm. in a way that's convincing enough. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I couldn't get into the new Beauty and the Beast, I was like, <gasps> the, whole, the, so whole, the whole time I was like, this beast is a video game talking to me right now. Yep. Like, I know, it's not a human. I cried it's a video so game. Much. It's so good. Though. <laughs> you, I mean, I. Just you know, I just like that's the kind of thing where I'm like, where's the magic of of makeup? Well, and especially because the Beauty and the Beast is a Broadway show, they know and, how to do that. You could totally do the Beast yeah. with good stage, yeah. with good with good film makeup. 100%. You could probably like put like some sort of weird wig on him. I mean, things. he could have a whole prosthetic. Yeah, um, it's doable. They do it totally yeah. doable. regularly. Totally doable. <laughs> so why not? And I, that just drives me nuts. Like, yeah. That really drives me nuts. And the same thing with with uh, with those. Those are the problems I had in Rogue One with mm. the use of CGI with those characters. I, I was about to say because they. It. I I was about to say <laughs> I liked that because it really looked like it looked real because I had no idea. I was like, yeah. how is Carrie Fisher in this movie? Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I thought it was jarring. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And I was like, you know, when Tarkin especially, who was on camera so much, too <laughs> much. And I, you know, and I was like, can't you know? What I thought they should have done was they should have just done a scene where you only saw his reflection. Yeah, yeah. it looked so good like that. They well, could have kept it like that the totally, whole time. Totally. Mm. And for me, I just was like, oh god, like for. The amount of time they must have spent doing that, right? Yeah, um, and that's kind of I didn't see uh, the new. I haven't seen the new Beauty and the Beast yet, but I, I want to just because I love that story. I love that movie. Um, but uh, I mean, the story is we we can all talk about the story and like the our thesis later. It's true. But <laughs> I I what I mean to say is I love the animated Beauty and the Beast movie. Oh, Me too. That was and my favorite when I was right a kid. too. Yeah, one of my I love Mulan. Very very That's favorite. Oh, Mulan's, Mulan's a wonderful movie. Um and but the thing that bummed me about bummed me out about making it live action is exactly what you're saying. None of it was live action. Like yeah, there's right. so much CGI that it's pretty much just Belle interacting with still an animated world. And mm-hmm. to me, it doesn't, that translation doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. if you're going to make a live-action movie... You know, I wonder, I wonder if it's a generational movie. thing, because Molly doesn't have a much of a problem with these things as yeah, we do. Yeah, I do, yeah. And I'm just wondering if it, you know, 
if it's different growing up before that technology right existed mm-hmm. and you had you know you saw films and there was this magic of filmmaking that you were how did they do that now you don't wonder how they did that they 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 CGI. they clicked on uh beast icon and hit enter right and yeah. and I'm, yeah. of course i know that the animators do a lot more yes work, yeah. but I'm, oversimplification I'm but that's I'm a good point that you know yeah. we've we've kind of grown up through more of that uh, the special effects getting better and better, whereas mm-hmm. it just kind of like started at a certain point um, mm-hmm. for well, motion. Uh, right, and then you yeah. think about you know how we you know we're doing we're doing a play that takes place in the sky. Yes, with airplanes <laughs> that shoot gun you know shoot like airplane machine guns at each other. Yeah, and you have to be able to. There's a little bit of suspension of disbelief, obviously, if you're <laughs> sitting in the audience. But, you know, that you have to be able to find an innovative way to show that mm-hmm. that's going to be interesting. And that's just, I miss that about film because I just don't feel like, I feel like a lot of the innovation is gone. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's where I was going uh, was that, like, it's, I think we've gotten past it. And you, you mentioned that J.J. Abrams has gone back to using some practical some. effects as well. <laughs> and there are some other filmmakers who, who have gone back to using practical, like, puppetry and uh, and things like that. I mean, even in Mad like, Max, great example. Yeah, yes. there you go. And that movie looked fantastic, it sure and did. it's because everything was real. And mm-hmm. and um, uh, even a movie like Kubo and the Two Strings, they oh, used so puppetry, right. like, and it was gorgeous. Yeah. And they oh, show yeah, you kind of like you said, like they you're able, to, they even like pull back the fourth wall a little in the credits of the movie. You get to see how they made how good it looked, and yeah. and I think that was really yeah. um, you know heartening for people who want things to be a little more practical. For BB-8, mm-hmm. Jean-Ralphio from... Yeah. He did all the sound effects for mm-hmm. BB-8. They did not use a machine for that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't ben use... Ben Schwartz and I believe uh, Bill yeah, Hader both had like That's cool. vocal input for... <laughs> yeah, uh, they did BB-8. His, yeah, so they, they recorded like reactionary sounds to the... Uh, Which yeah, is pretty so cool. Real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Humanizing um, element, right, right, for for a droid. Um, so, uh, do you think? Do you think there's a? Um, let's see. I don't oh, know how to phrase this question. I know yeah. what I've been recently watching. Go for it. I've been watching. They haven't come out recently, mm-hmm. but I have been watching. Um, and my Shyamalan movies. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little like those are a little scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You Sometimes, some of them. I guess I probably saw the Sixth Sense when I was around. Sixth your age. Sense kind of freaked it's me out. It's got some. It's got some <laughs> jump for me. I like. I yeah. I Did you know the reveal? No, I had no idea. Oh, that's what awesome. Happens. See, that's the best part about watching it as young as you are is that no one had a yeah, chance to spoil know. it for yeah, you. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> also they've got like, because um, I forget what I was saying. Never that's mind. Okay. <laughs> that's um, all right. But, yeah, I watched getting into Shyamalan. What are some, you, what other what other what of his movies have you watched? The Village, yeah, Sixth Sense, pretty good. Um, Signs, which is yeah. so good. I think that Unbreakable, yeah, The Visit. Oh, I haven't seen The Visit yet. I heard it's, it's pretty it's good. good. I, it's, it's not like his best. Back to form. It's not his best. Really? I thought it was really good, it's and then I watched. Best. Then I watched the others, and I was like, no, I like these better. I mean, Sixth Sense, Signs, and Unbreakable, I think, are all pretty like undeniably good movies. I really like Sixth Sense and mm-hmm. Unbreakable. Um, 
I can't get over some of the plot holes and signs. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> Very fair. Um, <laughs> some of them. I have an idea. Changing. Let's land on a planet that's all water, and <laughs> water kills us. Great. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Um, no, but the like, one guy was a baseball a player. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know. I uh, oh, I was gonna say something about uh, Unbreak. Unbreakable was one of the first. Um, that might have been the first Shyamalan movie that I, that I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. The, I think the first one I saw in theaters was probably Signs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the rest of them I had seen. Um, Unbreakable is like a, was like a cool meld of you know Shyamalan and like superhero. Yeah, for sure. You know. um, yeah, Unbreakable's really good, but I think my favorites are like Signs, The Village, and Sixth Sense, like all wrapped into one amazingness. Okay, all right. Throwing back to fantasy and sort of design, I think uh, Guillermo del Toro is is oh. really forward in in meshing, uh, like Pan's Labyrinth, for instance, in meshing um, CGI with makeup. With other art forms and mm-hmm. sort of fusing, yeah, it he together uses a lot of puppetry into one cohesive you know, thing. His recent film, I, what, what I was going to give him a compliment, which is that it looked beautiful, mm-hmm. but the story was terrible. Um, what was that movie that just came out? Um, oh. Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak. Oh, Crimson yes. Peak. Wait, oh, yes. So like beautiful film, you know, it mm-hmm. looked very beautiful, and you're it's right. Gorgeous. He you the way he used real environments Mm -hmm. even the trailer like i didn't see it because it's not really my genre to begin with Mm -hmm. yeah to to get into like kind of horror horror stuff yeah Yeah, it's not really my bag um but the trailer looked great like you know like you said yeah it does it really cool the way he did that stuff the the story was was really bad so Mm -hmm. the movie wasn't good but it and you know but but definitely if you want to look at how things are you know h- how you can make something visually stunning mm-hmm. without relying completely on computers. That's a good example. That's a great mm-hmm. example Especially of that. Especially Pan's Labyrinth. And yeah, yeah, for sure, Pan's Labyrinth. And I, I think my my favorite recent science fiction film maybe would be Interstellar. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. is my favorite like one that I've seen most recently. Yeah, that's I can new. agree with that. I can agree with that. Um, and not everyone likes Interstellar. I love Interstellar, and I don't <laughs> care what the haters say. I think that movie is great. Um, you know. I have problems with it, but I like it overall. And I can see uh, my boyfriend is a huge fan of Interstellar. Like yeah. he'll turn it on, like just to like fall asleep to. I will say, I will say that I very infrequently find movies these days that I want to watch over and over again. Mm-hmm. A lot of old school movies, I will. Have a rewatch um, value. Interstellar, yeah. I have not so much been like, I really need to see watch Interstellar. Like mm-hmm. that hasn't really, but I just remember that's one of those movies that when I saw it in the theater, mm-hmm. I walked out of the theater like, wow, what a great film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I that just is much less common, at least for me these days, where I wa- I'm usually walking out of a movie and I'm usually, oh, that's what I expected, mm-hmm. or that, that sucked. That happened. <laughs> Um, you know, and I had this similar experience. This is interesting. I don't know if any of you have had this experience before. Um, I'm curious if you have. So when they rebooted the Star Trek um, franchise, which I'm sure everyone in the world knows by Mm -hmm. now because J.J. Abrams did it. I saw the first one and I loved it. Mm Mm-hmm. I loved it, right? Most people liked it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was very, you know. Pretty well received. I I loved that one. Yeah, I saw the second one, Mm -hmm. liked it when I saw it, the first time, then I went back and saw it again uh, with Tiffany, my wife, mm-hmm. and we walked out and we kind of looked at each other and I was like, that movie is terrible. <laughs> and 
I, you know, it was just so interesting. And J.J. Abrams seems to be able to do this really well, where he makes you think you love a movie. Yes. Huh. And then you think about it, and you see it again, and you're like, wait a minute. That <laughs> a movie second. is not good. I got tricked. Yeah. I'll say I really <laughs> liked that movie when I saw it, and then I watched Wrath of Khan, like, right after it. And I was, Oh, you can't and do that. I had never. <laughs> and the thing is, but I had never seen Wrath of Khan. What? So when I watched the first one, I was like, or when I watched Into Darkness, I was like, holy shit, this movie is cool. <laughs> and then I watched Wrath of Khan and I was like, wait a minute. Um, yes. And like, and so I think on a rewatch of Into Darkness, I would also be underwhelmed. Well, you know, there's also things that you don't notice on a first go of, of course, a movie always. if you're not looking for it mm-hmm. right. like the fact that women are treated horribly in Star Trek <laughs> yeah. Into Darkness mm-hmm. yeah. and I didn't notice oh, it at yeah, first oh yeah they are oh it's shameful and then I mean they take Carol, Carol Marcus who is a great character mm-hmm. uh, is just destroyed yeah. in Star Trek Into Darkness I mean that's like an unceremonious destruction of mm-hmm. everything that her character is supposed to stand for mm-hmm. are you sure wasn't she alright in that one Carol Marcus Carol Marcus oh. in Wrath of Khan who is like supposed to be the one who got away mm. this great love of Kirk's life and they couldn't make it work out because he's a jerk and <laughs> uh, yeah. and couldn't give up Starfleet and couldn't make any sacrifices and she was a scientist who didn't believe in the military mm-hmm. and father you know and he fathered this you know this son out of wedlock with her and didn't know about him exi- you know it's just all of this stuff and, and into darkness she was a weapons expert Starfleet officer who was only there to get mostly naked in one scene yep and uh, what a shame that was oh you're talking oh I thought you were talking about the one that was also with Spock too Ohura. Yeah, she was amazing. Yeah, yeah. But Zoe she's Saldana. the only one who really like gets a role. The only female who really gets much of a role. Oh, the other one. one? Yeah. Oh, I did not like her. Yeah. The other woman, she I thought I didn't. Well, and too, Zoe Saldana, Uhura, who's who is a good character, mm-hmm. and they were and they did a good job with her in the first one and the third one. Um, was Spock's nagging girlfriend in the yeah. second yeah, I did, one? Yeah, I did. And it just was it. Just, so it's just funny that you know. And I've seen several J.J. Abrams movies where I've gone into them and like was like, "Wow, great movie!" Mm-hmm. And then I watch it again. And I'm like, "Oh, I've been hoodwinked." <laughs> I, I heard a lot. Not. I've heard a lot of people have that response to Rogue One. Actually, that when they saw it in theaters, they were like pretty pumped about it. And then when they tried to return to it, they were like, "Ooh, this movie is not as good as I thought it was." I was not thrilled by Rogue One in the theater. Me, ne- I was me like, neither. Well, um, that that was a thing that happened. You yeah. know what it was? It's the world's greatest fan film. Yeah, it's yes. absolutely just yes, fan indeed. fiction. Yeah, of it's, course. It's a great. It's a and if it, it if, you're, if you're looking at it from that perspective, mm-hmm. it's excellent mm-hmm. and totally and and very impressive. Um, I actually also had the same problem with um with the Force Awakens, where I saw it in theaters oh, I and I the and Force I liked Awakens. it in theaters, mm-hmm. and then I went back and was thinking about it, and I was like, well, you know, it would have been you, nice, yeah, if they didn't have to use the same plot. Yeah, I mean, I think Force Awakens has some of the same trappings as Into Darkness well, does. Well, and not only that, but what's so interesting, too, and I tell this to people, people usually think it's pretty funny, is that Into Darkness made me like the original reboot less. Oh. Because hmm. there were a lot of things in that movie that I forgave yeah. because I was like, oh, it's a new production crew. And then they crew. didn't necessarily like, new... improve on it. Well, not only that, but I thought they were maybe 
little errors, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, little things that they yeah. just missed because they're not Star Trek people. Mm-hmm. And, sure. And then in the second one, they like doubled down on all of it. Sure. And yeah. Like, and I was like, no, you weren't, didn't make a mistake. That's, you are a lazy piece of crap. You're doing That's it on a purpose. really good point. Uh, yeah, my dad saw into, he saw into <laughs> darkness. I did not. Mm. But you didn't I see into darkness. Said, I think he said it was all right. Oh, I can't remember if he saw it or not. It it definitely was, you know. <laughs> I will say the third one I liked a lot. Okay, yeah. and that wasn't J.J. Abrams, so you can take that for what you will. I I liked it. Uh, it's a, again a movie that I liked when I saw it in the. I left and went. I liked that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that one for me held up because when I went back and thought about it, it was like a good story, mm-hmm. a plot that I could, you know, it's of course, an entertaining and, movie. and Simon Pegg wrote it. So right. that's yeah, another sure. part, you know, is mm-hmm. that Simon Pegg's awesome. <laughs> and is it the most amazing film ever? No, but it it was Star Trekky in the way mm-hmm. that it had something to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It had a plot that made sense. For you sure. invested in the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't destroy Carol Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> Most important. Do you guys have um, like favorite examples of sci-fi fantasy in theater, like that you've seen? That's a good question. It's been done so infrequently, right? I know. I it's mean, tough. most of it it's with, is with Otherworld. <laughs> there you I've go. Seen. What's your favorite Otherworld show that you've seen? Um, well, I've seen two. Oh. I think it might be Sailor Moon. I love so it. So it's just Woo-hoo! a contest between Sailor those Moon. two. Sailor Moon. There you go. Yeah, it's a contest yeah. between Princess of Mars and Sailor Moon, which is very hard. But <laughs> I have to say either Princess of Mars with Otherworld or being a part of McSith with, with Edge, um, sort of blending fantasy and Shakespeare together, which, by the way, we have a new show coming out soon. Uh, nice. It's a similar thing, but not the point. Um, <sighs> Princess of Mars, I feel like... Um, captured the sci-fi story and then had such beautiful tech elements on top of it that you really became super invested and was like yes i am in space right now cool this is uh, the projection screen especially um yeah that was really cool spacecapes that were um relevant to the scenes cool and uh that in combination with lights and stuff it was like yes here i am in space (gasps) oh i'm really trying to think of Something I saw on stage that mm-hmm. was sci-fi or fantasy that I just like loved, and I'm having a problem. I have one. It's not a lot. <laughs> with Edge Theater, actually, I just remembered. I was. Tra- I'm like, I've seen so many shows with Edge, more than with Other World, but uh, yes, Holmes versus Holmes. My friend Lucy oh, was in that one. Fantasy, it, I guess. Th- well, it was kind of. It was, um, um, Sherlock Holmes hunting uh-huh. down, um. H.H. H. H. Holmes. Yeah, H.H. Oh. H. Holmes. That's so funny. It, w- it was amazing. <laughs> you know, uh, I actually will go so far as to say, uh, I'm trying to think of mainstream examples. Mm-hmm. A great mainstream example is of sort of fantasy on stage is The Lion King. Yeah, sure, I'll um, give you that. I saw and, that one. And, I saw Ups for Downs. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that Disney can get away with it. Disney can stage something like that, and people don't think of it as genre theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point. That is a good point. And, yeah. you know, you're looking at it from, you know, what is The Lion King if it's not a fantasy? Yeah. It is a fantasy. Exactly. Um, You know, and Beauty and the Beast, too, is I a fantasy. I was going to say Beauty That's and the Beast. That's for sure. Um, Most and I saw Beauty and the Beast on Broadway, mm-hmm. too. And Disney, for whatever reason, can, can get away with this and produce this stuff, um, and it's not... It's it's considered its own genre. Mm-hmm. Disney is a genre, yeah. right? Um, but that's actually what I was gonna say. Yeah, is that like is people ge- just think genre. of it as Disney? It, I mean, it is. Disney is its own genre. Uh, props to their uh, mm-hmm. marketing um, and their and their brand design. But you know, I think that 
they have this ability to take these fantastical shows, make them, put them on Broadway, Mm -hmm. and be accepted as mainstream, um, regular Broadway theater. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw um, The Little Mermaid on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like... Oh, really? Also solidly fantasy, I would say. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Mermaids? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I would say so. Mermaids are like a traditional fantasy, you know, trope. How would they do that on the stage? You know, it was cool. Now, I will say the show itself was like, eh, you know, like the Mm -hmm. story... That's relatively new to to Broadway, right? Yes. Yeah, I saw Newish. it. Yeah, in the yeah, last I saw years. it in like 2009, I think. Oh, mm-hmm. that's uh, yeah, they longer use, ago than I thought. Um, it roller skates. They use um, roller skates, and then like and then they flies. lifted people. Yeah, mm-hmm. they flew people, and they was that's they cool. used roller skates. But there was one scene that I rem- I don't remember the, a, a lot of it because the whole production as a whole I thought was kind of underwhelming. Mm-hmm. But the technical elements. Um, during Ursula's big song. Poor Unfortunate um, Souls. Yeah. Yes. And it's my favorite villain song. Her tentacles came out song. from the walls <gasps> in the oh, theater. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's, that's so awesome. And, and we were in a giant Broadway house. And her, so, like, they came out from, like, the walls uh, all around you. Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, yeah. Little Shop of Horrors is a great example. Um, at the end of the show, uh, there's a, the, the plant takes over. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in most productions, uh, even even small community theaters will find some way to like, to do a similar thing. The, the vines out. and right. That's and one of my favorite shows. Mm-hmm. Like period. Yeah. Mine too. Yay. Yeah. No, that's 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 a great example. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I didn't even. That think is about a that. really good example. I wouldn't have thought about that either. So I guess it's it proof positive that like it does work and people just don't necessarily think <laughs> it's, about it's it as there. It's <laughs> like it just has to be a musical and then it's kind accepted. Of sub- I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is. There but it's is true. a lot of like fantastical. There's more fantastical stuff in musicals than there is in like straight theater for well, sure. It, musicals lends itself. I mean, the the whole concept of of bursting out into song and dance is is a fantastical. It, it, Thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's sort of already in your brain. Is this is the thing that's going to happen? So I just accept that, and it it makes it easier to digest. Uh, mermaids, uh, talking animals. I would call spam a lot of fantasy. For sure. Oh yeah, um, sure. And you know that's that's humorous fantasy. You know, <laughs> that, Monty yeah. Python and a lot of the Monty, oh, po- yeah. Monty yeah. Python stuff. Shrek's on Broadway now. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah. That's uh, that's, and that's fantasy that musical is the humor. that is taking every fantasy and yeah. rolling mm-hmm. it into one. Smash it together um, into so, the woods. Yeah, so I don't know. Oh, I guess, yes, you know, it's just, it's just interesting that, you know, you have... And I think it would be harder to find a straight sci-fi play. Sci-fi. That's yeah, the only fantasy. The only straight... Arcadia. Oh, Arcadia's... Uh, yeah, I guess just with like the the time difference. Mm-hmm. Don't forget about Starlight Express. Yes, indeed, <laughs> there it is. I uh, I saw the Hammer Trinity at the oh, House Theater. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yes. show was awesome. Mm-hmm. It, it was just it was a three part fantasy. Uh, that I think is a, a testament to the devotion of fantasy fans in that like they did marathon shows. Of yeah, just, like mm-hmm. I sat in nine a theater. hours of theater and and it, it yeah takes talk a about selling tickets for that yeah. right. It, no that takes a hardcore joke. kind of yeah. fan to sit. I mean. Nine hours is a long time to sit through anything. <laughs> and can I just say that uh, one of the most beloved uh, Chicago uh, theater experiences that mm-hmm. happened before all of our times um, was Warp. 
um, which was produced by the Organics Theater Company mm-hmm. um, in the 70s. And it went to Broadway, mm-hmm. um, but hmm. was a flop on Broadway for various reasons, but came back to Chicago for another very successful run. Um, and it's great that we're in Chicago doing this cause because this was one of the first non-musical what you would call science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, they built, it's this, so it was, um, uh, to not go too far into it, um, is also a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, it's about superheroes. Mm. Um, and they were originally going to try and use like the Marvel characters and mm-hmm. Marvel told them no. <laughs> yeah. So they created their own. Um, That's so cool. And it's this, tr- and it's a trilogy of this like whole amazing pulp universe that was created um and it was um uh, uh Stuart Gordon are mm-hmm. you familiar with Stuart Stuart Gordon um so Stuart Gordon uh and Lenny Kleinfeld mm-hmm. um so you would know Stuart Gordon through um uh Reanimator okay um, have you seen Reanimator? Mm-hmm. Reanimator is like I'm a cl- familiar, but I Reanim- oh, my dad saw that one. Yeah, you can't see that yet. No, yeah. I can't. Um, Reanimator is like a cult classic yeah. sci-fi. Um, Stuart Gordon's done a lot of work um, in Hollywood, and he, like, he did work on Honey I Shrunk the Kids mm-hmm. and nice. other stuff like that. Um, and Lenny Kleinfeld was uh, is, is still I don't he doesn't still do a lot of work in Chicago, but he. Um, he like used to be the head theater critic at the Chicago, Chicago Reader for mm-hmm. a long time, and um, so they created this like fully sci-fi, goofy. It's goofy and weird, <laughs> um, and was a Chicago-born mm. um, play that like was a hit. I mean, That's people, so cool. people, and people come up to us all the time. You know, other world people. I mean, right? Who were around then? Who were you know? Who were like my you know our age in the seventies? Um, and oh my God, have you heard of Warp? That's you have so to do funny. Warp, um, and all of these people rem- still remember, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was you know low budget, campy. Um, the, they would use puppets to simulate. Like I remember one story, and because uh, all that we know about it are the stories um, that someone told us that they were giants in part of it, mm-hmm. and they used a puppet on stage, and then the people were the giants. Yeah, that's and, cool. You know, they did all these things that were just, you know, how are we going to do this? I don't know. Let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a great example of how science fiction can be successful, yeah. you, and people suspend their disbelief and come in and just enjoy the show that's been created. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so cool that that, you know, has kind of, like, outlasted anyone who... It may still be like making theater who actually saw it, but there are still audience members who are like, you guys, oh, uh, let absolutely. me tell you well, about the, this show. And the Organics is still a company. The mm-hmm. Organics still, oh, cool. they're, they're still a theater I was going to ask what the what company did yeah, it. Yeah, they're, so they're, the Organics Theater, and that was like their big first, you know, you yeah. know I, I, I imagine they m- did things before that. I'm not super familiar with their whole history, mm-hmm. um, but Stuart Gordon and Lenny Kleinfeld kind of led the, um, led the, led that company at that time um and you know it's something that we've thought about too sort of a you know doing as a as a you know homage to classic chicago sure you know science fiction um but i, I wish i could have seen that or you know there's no video of it that exists right. the script was never published oh my god which is amazing <laughs> to think it went to broadway and they never published that the is script. Crazy. crazy um and so it's like really hard to and it sounds like something that people that may have even more of a like uh you know base oh for i can producing nearly guarantee you 
that if you know somebody who knows anything about Chicago theater and they were alive in the 70s, they saw Warp. That is awesome. Um, n- almost everybody. I mean, it's really amazing. It's re- I mean, even people who aren't theater people, I'll be talking to them about what Otherworld does. I'll be, I saw a play years ago. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> That's And weird. it just took the city by storm. I mean, hmm. it's so- It's, it's like it's, Hamilton it's, now. And, yeah. It, it, yeah, and it had, and then it came back in the 80s and had another successful run that they did in the 80s. Cool. Um, so interesting thing to-, to to, to research. Yeah, um, I was going to say, yeah. I definitely want to look more into it now. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that you guys feel like you want to see on stage that you haven't seen yet? Like, whether it's something that actually, you know, an existing property or a story that you are interested in or a genre that you're interested in that you haven't seen on stage? Uh, well, to sort of tying in Sailor Moon, I think the uh, magical ge- magical girl genre of anime mm-hmm. uh, is something that the world kind of needs right now. Uh, strong, strong female characters, friendships. Um, a lot of magical girl stuff is really just about em- empowering young women, and Sailor Moon is a great example. Um, um, it was written as a way to broach difficult topics with kids. Cool. Um, uh, you know, same-sex relations, um, transgender, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, difficult things that they wouldn't wouldn't be considered kids' topics that they worked into this story. And mm-hmm. that actually when it came to mm-hmm. America, uh, the networks here were like, oh, no, no, we can't, we can't show that to kids. Mm-hmm. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite examples is um, there's a character later in the series who uh, they're not sure if the character is male or female. Mm-hmm. And the, the Sailor Scouts get, get together and they have this conversation. And one of them is like, you know what? It really doesn't matter if, <laughs> nice. if, if they're, they're male or female they're going to be our friend so that's great in the american they changed it to let's go get ice cream after school oh boy <sighs> <laughs> so i <laughs> it's a, um, at, but at least they're still showing that they're friends yeah but it, it could go a lot deeper and i, I think that's that's uh, a genre that could be seen a lot more cool um, yeah Sorry, I went on a little tangent No, there. no. I actually had no fair. idea. Sailor um, Moon. Woo. I think yeah. it's like Zoysite, maybe, Mar- Mary-Kate's character mm-hmm. in that one. I had no idea if uh, she was a boy or a girl. Yes. In the story, I'm like, she looks like a boy. That's, <laughs> a, that's a good example yeah. early on and then of, of... I saw Mary-Kate playing, and I'm like, I think that's a girl character, because... <laughs> Yeah, you don't actually insane lines. It, it's, like, it's sort of ambiguous, right? Uh, yes, but there are hints that Zoysite is male. Yeah, so, that's, um, yeah. so uh, Zoysite and Kunzite uh, have have a lovely gay relationship. Yeah, <laughs> um, really early on in the series, which is uh, before they they started kind of touching on darker things. But it was it's really the later seasons that get kind of dark and like, whoa, okay, we have to talk about this kind of <laughs> things. Um, I'm jokingly called the Sailor Scholar among the Sailor Moon cast. That's um, really funny, which is entertaining because uh, Sailor Mercury is the brains of the group. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's like yes, being in character. That's um, Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I want to be in that show. Yeah. There you go. Gotta wait for another. <laughs> yeah, production. I think I'm locked in as um. <laughs> Chibiusa. Chibiusa. <laughs> so. They well, yeah. Other worlds doing the whole first season of yep. of Sailor Moon. So cool. it, in parody form. In parody which is form. Awesome. It's amazing. So it's so the third episode. 
episode. Is, <laughs> yeah, is in July. Okay. Um, so there's been the first two, and there's going to be yeah. five, I think, total. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, we've already been introduced to Sailor Sailor's Moon, Mercury, and Mars. In episode three, we meet Sailor Jupiter and Sailor Venus, and um, we go on to fight the Negaverse. That's awesome. Sailor power. <laughs> and uh, then you all cry because of the sad <laughs> episodes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you want to see on stage, Molly? Or uh, is there is there anything that already exists that you want to see on stage or anything that you feel like you haven't seen yet that should be on stage? I don't really know. I, just, I read so much, but I read books that nobody knows really <laughs> well what's so, a, what's Molly. a what's a book that you've read recently that you would love to see some kind of like theater or film adaptation for hmm. maybe the book the in-between it's really good it's, i've heard of the in-between it's it's so good but it's about these two girls and the one is moving away but the one is like helping her move kind of like and they go stop at this hotel because their car breaks down because they get in this really bad, serious accident. Mm-hmm. And then there's twist. A so. twist. Always good. <laughs> we'll have to get into it on our own. Uh, what about you, Dylan? Um, so I'm just going to... Uh, the short backstory to this is that I loved Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas. <laughs> um, and I, I went with my dad when I was eight years old. Um, I don't remember how many times we did that. If you're unfamiliar with Star Trek The Experience, it was... Basically, an immersive production oh, where you went into the Star Trek Hilton mm-hmm. and you uh, you were you, you went through like a timeline of Star Trek things. Mm-hmm. So it was like you know on your left side was a timeline of the Star Trek universe, and it started with the present and then went into like how things went in Star Trek mm-hmm. world. Because um, like as you know, in 1996, the eugenics wars were World War Three. Didn't right. actually happen, but that was like what that timeline mm-hmm. was. And then on the right hand side were all these artifacts from the shows, like uniforms and props and the That's stuff. Cool. So you went all the way up to the top, cool. and then they said you were going to go into the ride. You know, they're like we're going to go take you into the ride, and you go in, and it gets totally black, and like someone says like something's wrong, you oh, know, whatever. No. And there's a bunch of wind, and um, when the lights come back up, you're standing on the transporter pad <gasps> on the Enterprise. And it just got goosebumps. It, yeah, <laughs> and you know, you go through the ship, and you're on the bridge, and you're in this whole this whole plot, which is basically that one of you in the audience is Captain Picard's ancestor, oh, uh, and, the, so cool. and the Klingons are trying to kill kill you oh, so that no. they can kill Picard. Yes. Um, That's awesome. And like Riker and the Enterprise, like Picard has That's disappeared amazing. because when you go to the future, he was never born. Mm-hmm. So Riker and the Enterprise like have to get you back to oh, you know so cool. Las Vegas. And like when I went, it was like 1998. Mm-hmm. So they were like, we're, we're going to get you back to 1998 at the start <laughs> at the Las Vegas Hilton. <laughs> and so I would love to see uh, a. Like and it it was kind of it's kind of kitschy and kind of goofy because it's a Las Vegas show. Right. Yeah. Um, actually, some of the I I believe a couple of the improvised Star Trek um uh, folks did have Star seen Trek it. The experience. Yeah, I think I've heard at um, least a couple of them talk about it before. <laughs> so they are very familiar. Um, but I would love a fully immersive production in the Star Trek universe. That's like a real and something the other world really wants to do is is immersive theater. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. we've done a little bit of. Mm-hmm. Um where it's really like a real-life holodeck where you mm-hmm. walk into an environment that's been created and the characters all around you are interactive. The show that I talked to Maura and Mary-Kate about first, the first time around, I think, was 
a bit immersive. So, oh, you guys the, talk about Gone Dark. Yeah. And Gone Dark was sort of immersive where the audience moved through a church, which we had transformed into, into the set. Um, so we want to kind of take that a step further mm. and do a, a fully immersive show where the audience is actually like a part of the world. Um, and the actors are sort of the NPCs or the non-player characters, um, and you kind of can see this world developing depending on what you do. You mm-hmm. know, things can be different. That's very cool. I would that's love really for someone cool. to do a Star Trek universe that be cool. of that because that's like my ultimate fantasy <laughs> to be able to live within the Star yes. Trek world. Yes. <laughs> you guys kind of did something like that in Sailor Moon, though, because like you handed out the you had the dream princess come around with candy. Yeah, immersive elements for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, because mm-hmm. like you put the uh, tuxedo mask invites to all the right all the girls and tiffany loves doing immersive elements mm-hmm. within theater the same thing with yeah. the princess of mars that yeah, you, how you we moved follow. locations and mm-hmm. one location was earth one was mars yeah they would go this is earth and then yeah that and was you would really walk cool. over to the other theater which is where mars was um and yeah. there's been immersive elements in a lot of a lot of the shows but a full immersive show full immersion yeah. that would be really cool something that i that i feel like we're go we're moving towards yeah. Um, kind of like improv, but you would have like a, it is sort not of. exactly like a script, but you would have like a plot. Summary, well, it's like probably. playing it's like playing an RPG game, <laughs> like you know, LARP theater. It's, it is. <gasps> I love LARP it is. so much. So that well, it is. Fun. It is like LARP theater, and uh, and you've kind of done a little bit of that too. So, Fight Quest <laughs> is a little bit like LARP theater. Again, it's not totally there though, yeah. because in Fight Quest, another other world show that we do is is uh, the audience chooses their player character, which is one of the four actors, mm-hmm. and then they choose how they move through the story and how they fight and it's they like make a decisions. Choose your own adventure. Yeah, but it's live. a choose, That's right. awesome. A choose yeah. your own adventure live that. show, yeah. which actually Fight We've Quest a couple runs. Fight of Quest is playing in junction with the Rogue Aviator. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, after cool. the show, right? So there are five productions of Fight Quest that are happening after Rogue Aviator there at the go. same theater. There you go, you're going to see it, Molly. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah, it's called Fight Quest Three: The Layer of Lost Heroes. Bum, That's bum, great. Bum. And it's being um, it's being produced as like a limited run during mm-hmm. Rogue. Cool. So people can come see Rogue, and then an hour later they can h- stick around, around or just then, come to that and or... then see Fight Quest. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's kind of that's sort that's of there as there. well. So we'd love to be able to push it, and and if you think about how things are developing in the world, mm-hmm. just in general, how our economy is developing, how people are looking for experiences now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's. Um, there's a book that you guys shouldn't read because it's all about business and you'll be bored. <laughs> um, but it's called The Experience Economy. Um, and uh, it's all about how the economy has evolved mm. from you know goods and services, uh, from commodities to goods to and services, to full experiences. Mm-hmm. And they use a birthday cake as an example in this book where back in the day, if you wanted a birthday cake, you had to grow the wheat Oh. And you had to harvest the eggs, yeah. and you had to m- literally make the cake. Then there were goods, and you could buy a Betty Crocker cake mix, and you could, you know, pour it into a bowl, and there's your cake. Right. Then there were services; you could go to a bakery and get a cake. And now there's a full experience, like Chuck E. Cheese, which is a bad ex- example, <laughs> but, yeah. But where they create an experience around the birthday, yeah. Where you just pay a fee, you take all the kids. They go, they they have this experience, and then they throw the cake in for free. Right. Uh, right. That's, that's of, really that's funny. That's an example that they use as sort of the evolution of the birthday that's cake. Neat. And I think it's the evolution of entertainment, too. Mm-hmm. People, especially in our generation, 
um, don't want to sit in a theater and just watch something happening. They want to be a they part of it. They want to be a part of it, and yeah. they want to have a fully yeah. immersive experience. Not everyone, but... But a large portion. But there's a lot of people who yeah. are looking for that now. And I think theater is sort of... We're in the very beginning phases of people really making an effort to um, to bring that. House did that other... Uh, the other show... Um, that uh, well, shoot. the last defender, the last defender, mm-hmm. which was in that same. I vein. didn't get a chance to um, do it, but I heard it was amazing. Oh, people kind love of like that a, show. A combination of like room escape and, and I think theater. they're bringing right. it back actually. It, right, and that's so you've seen and the and the rise of escape rooms mm-hmm. has been huge. Oh, in I want to I'm an actor in an escape yeah. room. Great room escape uh, up in Morton Grove. That's yeah. great, and it's they're not as big in Chicago as they are in some places, mm-hmm. but they're growing in yeah. Chicago. Mm-hmm. Tiffany and I actually went to uh, Toronto. Um, last summer mm-hmm. and Toronto was crazy about escape rooms. Those people, <laughs> cool. those people like can't get enough of them. Um, and they like created these immersive World War II escape rooms mm-hmm. where you were what? like having to find the location of German U-boats and That's geez, amazing. There was a Legend of Zelda it. one that came yeah. through yeah. Yeah. here just uh, recently. A bunch of people I know So it's sort of it. like there's all this stuff that's there mm-hmm. That I feel like we can harness and Tap like create. It. And the thing with escape rooms is that they're really cool, but you don't have like really developed characters of to course. interact with. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. th- there's elements of that there that mm-hmm. you're not quite there yet. Like right. the same yeah. with the immersive stuff we've done, that we mm-hmm. create an environment mm-hmm. that you were like amazed by this environment, but it wasn't interactive yet. Right. Or with Fight Quest, where it's interactive, but you're not a part of it mm-hmm. and it's not an environment. So yeah. we're like, we're getting there, but you know, that's just my tangent. Uh, no, that was great. I, I think that's really cool. And I was interested to kind of see, uh, it makes sense that you have like desires and, um, <laughs> you know, goals farther into the future of the, the company in mind. Uh, well to close it out, I'm going to just get you guys to kind of give me a little, uh, a, a bow tied on this conversation and ask how you feel like your love of um, science fiction and fantasy, uh, I guess specifically where it applies to theater, has influenced you creatively and kind of your life in general up to this point. Mm. So how does sci-fi fantasy influence you as a person? Oh, boy, that's a well, big question. Well, I am a Go writer, so that really influences a lot. Everything I watch and everything, I'm kind of... Ri- like writing a John Carter-ish kind of book. That's right awesome. Now. So I'm like, yeah. I'm Is anyone else wondering what Molly doesn't do? <laughs> I mean, Molly does everything. Yeah. Once my mom was, she cooks. I was with my friends. Podcasts. They're like, what? What do you guys not want to do? We're like, <laughs> we can do a club about that. We can do a club about that. <laughs> <laughs> you cook too? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a food blogger. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> you. You can find her on Instagram, even. You can, and Facebook. For your food blog? Mm-hmm. Man. It's crazy, right? Yeah. I'm like, what was I doing when I was 10? <sighs> Not, Not anything that. close. <laughs> no. Nope. Playing no. some video games. That was probably <laughs> yeah. about it. No. Um, I think for me, uh, it's sci-fi and fantasy has has really just influenced my ma- my imagination. Um, awesome. I, uh, sci-fi and fantasy is oftentimes a lot about these uh, great expansive worlds and how the characters exist within them and um, that really sort of altered the way I think about stuff and just not just okay this is me in this world it's me and how the world around affects me Cool. Um, and so that's really brought a different line of thinking into the way I prepare for a show or even see a show if I'm an audience member awesome yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, for me, I'm 
as a person, am really care about uh, world affairs and politics, and especially now. (laughs) Yeah. Science fiction has always been a great way for me to, like we talked about, still give your mind a workout Mm -hmm. and think about and look and and analyze those topics and think about those things that are important, but take a break Mm -hmm. and not have to worry about, you know, as an actor, when I was, when I was in theater school, um, when I was in theater school, (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, back in the 1920s, (laughs) um, the same voice he used earlier. (laughs) Um, yeah, right. Um, you know, we would, you know, and and a little bit outside of that, you know, would have a chance to play really, really realistic parts mm-hmm. that were really heavy handed or, you know, whatever. Um, and it takes a lot out of you. And it can sometimes be uh, very emotionally draining where with this show, I, you know, it's not that you don't do the same kind of work. You don't, you know, you put the same kind of work into your intentions mm-hmm. and your work as an actor but you can you know relax a little bit and have fun with it yeah which Mm -hmm. is kind of what we were talking about at the beginning where you don't have to take the subject matter so seriously Mm -hmm. where you know you see some people you know and some of the ultra realism fantastic work that's done in chicago like you talk about like steppenwolf Mm -hmm. and you uh, like you know you know, and I and I love like Tiffany, my wife, doesn't like living room plays and she doesn't like all of that, you know, stuff. She likes doing the fantastic and the mm-hmm. new I like living room plays. Like I said, I'm a <laughs> trained at, you know, pro- you know, professional actor. I, I can go see who's a favorite Virginia Wolf and yep. love it. But seeing that at like Steppenwolf when Tracy Letts and Amy Morton did it, like, how do you even go home and relax after that? You I can't, can't do it. Like I can't yeah. even yeah. imagine if anyone saw that show, that show was mind blowing. Mm. Um, meanwhile, I went with Tiffany and she was bored, but, <laughs> but I walked out and I was like, yeah. oh my, my God, soul has I'm changed. exhausted. <laughs> my, <laughs> what were you to say, Molly? Uh, a few of my friends were in an Anne Frank show. Oh, wow. yeah. And at the end of every rehearsal, they were like crying. Oh, I know. It sobbing. takes so much out of it. August Drink Osage County call. was another one yeah. that was like a life-changing experience for me when I saw it. I like walked out of the theater and I saw it with a really close friend of mine. And we like got into a cab and took the cab home. We like didn't say anything. We, didn't, we were <laughs> just, just sitting there in silence, you know. And then f- we like got to like her house first. And I was like, okay, well, okay, bye. bye. <laughs> Um, and it's like you just sit there and you're like in this like zone of oh Mind this meant blown. so much to me yeah. and and it 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 hit me in all these emotional spots yeah um, but you know there's a place for that yeah and there's a place for escape sure and this day and age especially this day and age I feel like escapism is going to make a pretty yeah. big comeback yeah escape to that flying city while it, it may have problems it's still a flying city <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely. <laughs> Back in a time when Nazis were bad. Uh, (laughs) Let's go back there, please. Oh Lord. Yeah, don't. Yeah, don't. I know. I'm not a big Marvel like person, but I know that 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 raised a lot of uh, that that people are up in arms with Marvel right now. Uh, (laughs) That's really funny. Uh, This has been a really wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank thank you you for having us. Thank you so much for being here, and best of luck with your opening and your run. And uh, hopefully people have been uh, intrigued by our conversation to check out some other world theater. Yeah. Thank I you hope guys. so. Thank and if yes. not, just keep enjoying science fiction and fantasy. There you yes. go. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Thanks. Mary Beth.
Thank you so much, Molly. <laughs> I love you all, and I mean that. Baby, how you feeling? This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.